And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I'm Sam Stasekel, joined as always by my friend and colleague Paul Tenorio. Paul, week one of MLS is almost in the books. Not quite. Uh, we are recording on Monday. A little bit of a schedule change this week. Yeah, we're 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 up and at this week, we man. We really we we sure are. Um, Go so getters. There's, there's one game remaining on the slate between Portland and Kansas City. That match initially slated for Saturday, but pushed back a couple of nights because of the inclement weather in the Pacific Northwest. But Paul, quite a few games were played. El Trafico, of course, was not one of them. That was also canceled because of bad weather and moved to July 4th when it will be played at the Rose Bowl. Um, but lots of other lots of other interesting action. Uh, a debut on Apple TV uh, that is, is certainly newsworthy and noteworthy. Uh, where do you want to start, man? There's a lot to break down. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I'll start with Apple TV because that's that's probably the most newsworthy thing that happened on the weekend. Um you know, for me, I think overall, like a positive experience watching the games. Uh, certainly, you could see the drastic difference in broadcast quality um, from game to game to game from what Apple's presenting versus what we were used to in the local broadcast. That was a big part of this whole pitch was that it was going to be about improving that quality and telling those stories better. And I think they certainly accomplished that from week one. I mean, there were hiccups. There were always going to be hiccups in the first week, little things. And th- those aren't surprising and they weren't big enough to be a big deal. You know, we, you know, I personally heard from people who thought like there could be some massive drastic problems in the first week. And actually, you know, th- there were some people predicting there could be bigger problems in the second and third week when there's not like so much attention on the, on that opening of the, the curtain. But overall, I, I thought it was a, a, a positive debut, very celebratory for sure for for MLS. A lot of, you know, patting themselves on the back. But I get it. I mean, it's a big, big project that they undertook to launch this. I kind of expected that. Um, as I wrote in our new Monday column that exists at the Athletic Soccer, I I think that some aspects of kind of like the Homerish broadcast, you know, very very like MLS talking points ish. Um, maybe fades out a little bit as we get further into the year. I think that will benefit everyone's experience viewing the games. Um, but I wasn't really surprised that that was the case in week one. Um, you know, overall, I think that it's a good product. Um, I think that some of the things like we saw on the whip around show of like some of the awkward stuff will, will get cleaned up whether it's like the shots of the guys of everyone watching the game from like behind watching their backs of them watching the games or whether it's, you know, I wrote in there that like there were certain moments where they were talking over the action when it would have been better to lay out like Almada's game winning goal. Like that, that is what MLS is about. 67,000 people in Atlanta erupting. Like that is what they're trying to sell and like going right into analysis as the ball goes into the net, like it stole that moment. 
So, but those things happen. This is broadcasting when you're new and it's a new product. Like those things are going to happen early on and you work that out over the course of the season. Um, Yeah. I mean, like the funny thing is like for me, the hard part was like, I didn't really watch a game on Saturday because I was tuning into so many different games, switching over to 360, trying to get the full experience. And I think that's going to be kind of what it's like watching MLS now, like the downside for, I mean, not everyone's a national writer who has to watch more than one game, but like now that like all the kickoffs are at the same time, you do kind of have to have head on a swivel and figure out like where you're going to be watching or, or switching from here to there. You screw a or, couple or, more eyeballs, you know? Yeah. I just need, you know, I, I definitely can do the multi-screen for sure. And, and our editor, Alex Abnos, he showed, he showed everyone how to do picture in picture. So there are options and, and you can have the whip around show on one screen and pick a game on the other screen. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I, I think like overall positive performance in week one, some changes in tone, some kinks to work out. Yes, those are needed, but you know, I, I think MLS is going to be pretty happy. And I think fans are going to be pretty happy with what they got, especially when it comes to like quality of the broadcast. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I didn't really think about, and this was an oversight, but one thing that I didn't really think about is just kind of the witching hour nature of a whip around show when all of the games are starting at the same time or so many of the games are starting at the same yeah. time. That part was really cool. So I think we had, I think it was three games, Paul, Atlanta scoring two in stoppage time to win DC scoring two in stoppage time to win and new England scoring one in the 89th minute to win all of those happening within minutes or seconds of each other. That part of it was really exciting and really interesting. And the cool thing is, is like, that's going to happen most weeks. I mean, maybe not two goals in stoppage time for a winner in two different games, but there's a late drama all the time in MLS. And with so many games kicking off at seven 30 Eastern time, it's all going to be coming to a head right at the same point. So that part will be, I think really fun. I would be remiss also if I didn't mention the number of commercials on the whip around show. It's kind of funny because it's like the reverse of red zone, like red zone. You tune away from a sport that has a lot of commercials to a channel that has no commercials. And yes, like it's like a lot of it's about fantasy football and tracking all the touchdowns in your players, but also like it enhances the viewing experience because you're not getting so many breaks that the NFL has. And here you tune into the whip around show from a sport that has no commercials and suddenly you're getting inundated with commercial breaks and they missed some goals while they were away. You can't miss goals on a whip round show for being in commercial. So I, I get that like you're looking for places to insert these ads because that's how you make money and revenue is good. And that's like Apple needs to make some money on like a deal that they're paying $250 million a year for. But it it took away from the experience for me and it makes me less inclined to like make that like appointment viewing or have that on the main screen. Like now I know like I can't hundred percent just be locked in on that and catch everything. Cause I might miss something. on the what, break. what do you think you'll do to watch games going? Do you think it'll be focused on one game and put the whip around on a second screen? Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. And like, that's probably that's, like the I mean, best that's way pretty, to do it. That's, that's pretty like the good. best way to do it. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good viewing. I mean, it was, it was very useful for us as a staff to have a Slack channel because like our, our, people who were assigned to the whip around show. Cause like we were all trying to take in as much of the broadcast as we could at so many different, you know, angles. And like, we'd be like, Oh, goal. Oh, Amada. Oh. And the person on the whip around was like, we're in commercial, <laughs> you know? So it was like also helpful for me that I could like see that the goal was happening on a game that Felipe watch was watching or someone else was watching. And I could flip over real quick onto the channel 
and try to and like re- rewind or find that replay or whatever and watch the goals or stay tuned into that game. I'm not going to do that every week. I don't think our whole staff is going to be actively watching together on Slack every week. But um, yeah, I think like it is a cool thing for an MLS fan now to have a whip around show. I just think that they should maybe be a little bit more strategic with advertising, maybe introduce like picture in picture of ads where you still have a whip around show on like a main screen and you're running the ads in a corner, something like that, where we're, where you don't risk missing these moments and um, and taking away from an experience with a sport where we're used to never missing anything because there are no ads, there are no commercial breaks. And so it's just like an awkward thing to be watching soccer and then it goes to commercial. <laughs> like it's just not normal. So, I mean, again, I think these things are going to be figured out as they go, but it did stand out from the week one viewing. And I'm interested to see how how this evolves and and what we get out of the product highlights. Where can you find the highlights? You know, using like going back. It was nice to like be easily rewinding games when I needed to like live in the action. That was really, really nice. I enjoyed that. And, um, you know, I think there's going to be like so many positives out of this deal for those of us who are like major consumers of MLS. Um, And I hope that, you know, my hope has been with this deal that like the big question mark is like, how do you hook more fans? But for us, like for the like people who watch MLS, no matter what, like on every week, there's no doubt that this is a better product than what existed before. Yeah, I think that's pretty definitive. Um, Paul, I don't know if there's anything other Apple related that you want to say, but if there's not, you want to talk about some soccer? I think we should talk about some soccer and I like I like what you put on the rundown here because it, it means I get to like brag off the jump. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to live in a world where you're taking a ton of credit for picking St. Louis like 11th or 12th. And yeah, 11th place out on a limb, <laughs> out on a limb by myself. <laughs> St. Louis, though, with the big I mean, the big win of the weekend. I think it's fair to say uh, the I mean, maybe maybe D.C. you could throw in that mix for sure. Um, but go down to Austin, a team that many people picked to finish very high in the West and, and in MLS this season, a, a place that has been really tough for teams to go play over the last year, certainly. Uh, and they get a win, 3-2. Kip Keller, a nightmare performance. You know, yeah, like that's awesome. one, Paul, that you watch and, and you like, for me, I like get worried about the guy. Mm-hmm. Like, young player and that's when the, that, that confidence can kind of be destroyed hopefully he can bounce back mentally but st louis looked organized they were difficult to play against in a lot of different ways you know it wasn't a surprise how they came out and, and played it's it's pressing it's not a lot of possession it's looked to go direct quick playing a red bull way uh but get a goal from tim parker get a great goal from jao klaus and then of course get a goal from jared stroud as well uh on oof I mean, the back pass of the century right there. Man. I mean, I, I, I want to have this debate here. So basically, Jared Stroud said to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that he was like, I don't know, maybe he saw my face. He's like a friend of mine, and maybe he saw my face and he passed it to me. Jared I watched, Stroud, like, formerly of Austin FC. Formerly of Austin FC, former teammates. I just watched like multiple angles of that goal, and he's got his hands out like the universal figure of like a soccer Played player saying, play me the ball, play play me here. And I just wonder if he if he did the old schoolyard trick, like when you're switching teams and you're, you know, 
skins versus shirts or you're trading pennies that you might be able to trick someone to play you the ball. But man, oh, that was bad. It's, it's gutting, man. Like, and, and maybe he did do that. And, you know, it's not like the clean. Which I didn't realize is against the laws of the game. Like, there's rules that, like, you can't. Really? Yeah. At least that's what I've been. I got to go and check with, like, a rules expert. But it seems like if you verbally shout to, like, trick an opponent, that the referee at his, his or her discretion can give you a yellow card and nullify the goal. Interesting. Clearly, I mean, look, there wasn't a reaction from any of the players that that Stroud did call for the ball. Um, But like it was like, how the heck did that just happen? And then, you know, Kip Keller on the third goal. Great finish from Klaus. Great finish. Fantastic. But but, really good. Also, yeah, just tough. Just tough for for Kip Keller. And I mean, but a big win for my my St. Louis. I mean, they were they were they were good. They were organized. They were difficult. And, And I think, you know, like that mentality. And that style of play where you're pressing and you're not trying to play pretty, but you're just trying to s- disrupt and you are you can be organized, particularly early in a season when teams haven't really gotten into a flow yet or haven't figured out their style all the way yet. Um, I think it can be effective. And and I don't know. I, I still, I'm still curious about their attacking talent, but they had some players, man, that, that went out and did well. Like Klaus, we'll see. He came down with a little bit of injury um at the end of that game but i don't think it looked very serious so uh, all i'm saying is sam it sounds like you might be bumping st louis up to 11th place in your rankings i mean and i just want to say welcome you know welcome up here yeah in the clouds at 11th place klaus (laughs) in the klaus yes (laughs) um that was a great finish at the end of that game so a, a big statement for them um and certainly sets up their home opener on saturday which was already gonna be awesome I think with the crowd there and, and kind of how long they've waited for a top tier professional soccer team, it sets that up even better for their big curtain raiser against Charlotte who went out and I think frankly, a little disappointing with that result losing one zero to new England didn't really create much in that one. Uh, we don't need to spend a ton of time on that game. Paul, I do want to go to to the nation's capital, your actual hometown, not Orlando DC. Uh, Toronto goes in, takes a two-one lead into second half stoppage time. I can't believe you acknowledged that. I'm and, very, pr- I'm very yeah, thankful. Well, actually, I regret it. Um, <laughs> no take backs. No take. I regret back. it. That was a mistake. It's not true. Paul's from Orlando, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and they get two goals from Christian Benteke and and Ted Pietro in the 98th minute to get a three-two win for Toronto. Man. For those of us that, you know, picked them to finish second in the East and win MLS Cup and we're like, well, this is like on narrow margins, but they got a lot of talent. Woof, dude. Insigne going off injured. The defensive rotations in midfield were just glacially slow. Is that a word? Glacially? Oh, it's that's a word. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm like, well, that was stupid. I did go on the front end, though, last week on this show and say, this is probably going to make me look stupid. So I was right about that. Yeah, I mean, like most of what we say on the show is like going to make us look stupid at some point. But I do appreciate <laughs> that it happened so quickly. <laughs> um, so what do you, I mean, what did you make of it? I was very surprised. Honestly, I was surprised by DC United's performance more than anything. I, I, I think that, you know, I had them finishing last in the East. I heard really not great things about them in the preseason, but they showed fight and they came back and they won this game and they, um, yeah, I think it showed plenty of character, 
you know, to to get to get three points against the Toronto team that is definitely more talented than they are. Um, I don't know if I'm like overly concerned yet about Toronto. I, I do get that they're super old. I do understand. Like I was just reading Doyle's column this morning. He does a nice job of breaking down some of how like the tactics uh, of trying to like both play into your strengths, but also protect against your weaknesses takes away from the strengths of the wingers. But then you have to try to protect against what's happening with like how slow you are in midfield. I, I would err on the side of Bob Bradley figuring that out. So I think Toronto is going to be okay. You know, I, I, I think, I think eventually they will get it sorted, but if Insigne is out for an extended period of time, it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah. It's an oof. It's a little bit of an oof. (laughs) Yeah. Um, we'll see on the extent of his injury. He came off, uh, you know, physically it didn't look, overly damaging but emotionally he was pretty distraught coming off in the first half of that game i was being a little hyperbolic there off the top i i also think that toronto will play better than they did <laughs> uh, on saturday um however you know this is a team where the margins are, are thin there is not a lot of depth there's a big drop off from their starting 11 to their reserves and a lar- large number of their starting 11 are older so if guys go down injured or if the midfield can't cope with the speed and the pace and they don't get their defensive rotations right. Like it's it's just they're kind of living on a knife edge there, and it could be really good, but it could also go downhill really fast. Sean Johnson, the big the big acquisition in goal, was not able to kind of save them against DC United. Maybe he'll be able to to bail them out of some other games there. Um, Paul, one one note for me on DC. Um, you guys wrote a nice column just kind of pulling together everything from the MLS weekend, which I would encourage everybody to go check out. But Elias Burke, who is our new colleague in Los Angeles, coming over from England. This was his first weekend covering MLS. From West Brom to West Hollywood. I mean, I think he got the full like professional wrestling soccer experience that MLS All was missing was a live. He was supposed to debut covering MLS with 70,000 plus at the Rose Bowl. And I was like, we have fooled him. We have fooled him. He's going to be like, oh, this is amazing. MLS, like, you know, and instead he got to watch a full day of MLS at home <laughs> on his couch. And it was like, like, his, like his reactions on Slack. I mean, I they mean, made my night. It was, like, we such, were it was such like a perfect encapsulation of MLS this weekend. Like you yeah. had amazing, amazing moments, like Almada's two goals, which we'll talk about in a second fantastic strikes both of them Seventy thousand people in atlanta going nuts and then you had like i don't know were there like three pelvic thrust goals this weekend yeah or like kip keller passing the ball to an opponent (laughs) to score a goal like it was like Like, it just runs the gamut just really does like it was very mls there are so we've i've said this before i'll say it again there are things that happen in this league every single weekend that you've never seen before in your life yeah and and i feel like we got a few of those I mean, I, I am excited. At some point, I'm going to have a, a, a podcast segment or multiple segments with Elias where I just like sit him down and like ask him questions about MLS. And sometimes it'll be like reactions to stuff that happened over the weekend that's like we're used to from watching MLS, but he's not. Sometimes I'm just going to like no preparation, just be like, okay, I want you to now explain to me targeted allocation Pop quizzes. Yeah, just like <laughs> explain discovery rights and like hope that he hadn't you hasn't should, uh, like read the roster rules and regulations do you ever and just watch the let show the listeners you ever yeah. watch the show drunk history 
Yeah, yeah. You, sh- you should do it like that. It's kind of like, like that. Get him hammered, and then like have. Don't even need to do that. I'm just like, you know what? I should do the segments immediately after he watches a full night of MLS, and then as soon as like that night ends at like one thirty in the morning, mm-hmm. and it'll be fair. It'll be like eleven thirty his time. It won't even be midnight yet, but he'll be drunk on MLS, and I'll be like, yeah. okay. Are you trying to give this man a psychotic break? What are you trying to yeah. do? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. back to my original point, which was that he made a nice point about DC United and Wayne Rooney's time at Derby and how they were going through all kinds of financial hell, essentially, and were feeding, fielding a team of like nobodies and academy grads. And he they pulled off a string of pretty surprising results. And Rooney got a lot of credit for that. Um DC, obviously not quite in the same position, but on a talent perspective, on paper, I don't think anyone is putting them at the top of the league. Most are putting them towards the bottom. And so if he can kind of keep them inspired and keep them engaged and keep them fresh, well, that can go a long way in this league sometimes. And I think we saw that on Saturday night. Um, Paul, sometimes star power goes a long way in this league too. And we saw that from Tiago Amada. I mentioned the two goals. Atlanta was not looking particularly good. Luis Araujo with a missed penalty that was not even close. Um, just kind of looked out of sorts in the attacking third. You know, it almost reminded me a little bit of the U.S. men's national team, and I only had one eye on this game. But they were getting into good positions, and then they just couldn't really do anything with it once they got there. And then Almada changed everything with those two goals in stoppage time. Um, fourth player in league history to score an equalizer and a winner in the 90th minute or later of a match. Uh, Pretty remarkable. Both of us thought he was going to have a big year coming off of the World Cup win with Argentina, and he's certainly off to a flying start. Yeah, I mean, exactly what you want from Thiago Almada if you're Atlanta United. You want him to be the game changer. You want him to be the person who can win you games, and in this case, he did exactly that. And it was going to be up there with the most disappointing performances of the weekend. It would have been up there with Austin, with Toronto, probably, I would say, like right on par with Austin. To lose at home to St. Louis and to lose at home to San Jose, it would have been like very similar. And especially with the pressure on Atlanta, I think maybe even a little bit worse in that way, just because they they missed the playoffs. I mean, it felt like things were snowballing on Gonzalo Pineda already. Yeah. I mean, you could even see it felt like his reaction after the game was like a release of that, you know? Yeah. And and so um, like like for that reason, like obviously it was a spectacular individual performance and and the way that the goals happen, the drama, the moment of it, like that's what you want to see if you're any sports fan, like and you tune into a game, like awesome, awesome, dramatic stuff. Um, but I think, you know, that could be a moment like if, if Atlanta comes out next week and all of a sudden gets in a rhythm, gets in a flow and starts to play good soccer and ends up being like a strong contender and playoff team like maybe it comes down to two goals from Tiago Almada in the opening game. You know, like if this was middle of the yep. season, you'd be like, oh, that's a turning point moment. It's like the first game of the season, so it's not a turning point. But it was like, yeah, they didn't look great. They didn't seem confident. And then that happens. Maybe that gives them the boost to be what a lot of people think. A lot of people pick them to do well. Like it's not yep. like everyone's like, oh, they're back out of the playoffs, you know. But I, I just think like when you look at performance versus result. Like it wasn't a great performance. It was an awesome result. And maybe it's a, a, a result that that creates some momentum and some energy. I think it can be a turning game. point in that way. You know, like it wasn't it's not like they had a string of, of bad games leading into this. It was the first game of the season. But 
you know, if they lose, maybe it goes one way. Maybe inflection point is a better word. How about that? We're using yeah, that word. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, um, I do want to say also, like, I don't want to go to an ad break here, but we got a pretty good advertisement this MLS weekend, Sam, moving on from Atlanta, from our from Jim Curtin. Philadelphia. <laughs> we did. Philadelphia smashed Columbus. And to be fair, it was not a 4-1 game. Like if you watch no, Columbus, the game, I like, thought it was the better in the team in the first they, half. They were they they had their moments for sure. But Philadelphia came out in the second half. They figured it out. They got the goals 4-1. And after the game, Jim Curtin took a quote from our anonymous survey and said, shove it, essentially. <laughs> and the you know, quote was that the union aren't even that effing good. I, I it, as the guy did pick them to win MLS Cup or the Shield or something <laughs> that was saying this, but he was like, I don't. It hurts me to pick them because they're not even that effing good. They just come out and kick you. But I was like, well, they, they scored like a million goals last year, man. Their goal difference was like seven hundred, I think. But okay, <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I just you know, I felt good. It was like, yeah, like Jim Curtin. Thank you for reading the Athletic. Thank you for pointing people in the direction of our anonymous GM survey, executive survey, and also congratulations on a nice start to the MLS season. It was an impressive performance at home, considering the fact that the first half didn't go the way they wanted. That's what Philly's about, though. They have the character. They have the veterans. They know how to win. And they came out in the second half. And, and they, and they, they can they, be they ruthless won. with their opportunities. Yeah, man. And that's sort of what sets them apart. It's like, all right, they're difficult to break down. Yes, they haven't the best goalkeeper maybe in the history of the league. Yes, they have a back four that that is intact and and was the the best in MLS last season, hundred percent. But if you can't be taking your chances and burying them, there's only so far that can get you. And the fact that Carranza is playing well, Gazdag does what he does, both of them with a couple of goals, um, that just it, it just makes the ceiling on this team so high. And I think that's that's part of the a big part of the reason why so many are are picking them to go so far this season so certainly a good result for the union speaking of good results paul seattle came out last night sunday night and smashed colorado for nothing um it's interesting the sounders i feel like are sort of a forgotten team a little bit this year certainly people aren't picking them to be bad or anything like that but you know maybe like fourth fifth in the west or thereabouts and I think this was kind of a good reminder that like, hey, um, yeah, these guys are getting older. Yeah, Garth Lagerway is gone. But when you put that 11 on, on the field together, they you talk about Philly having the experience, the know-how, and the understanding. The Sounders have all of that, plus some championships and probably some more quality and star power when you're talking about Ladero, when you're talking about Ruse Knock, when you're talking about Jordan Morris, Roldan, and not even Rui Diaz who didn't play <laughs> or didn't start. Eber got the nod last night as Rui Diaz works his way back from an injury. So 4 nothing win against the Rapids and kind of a nice little, hey, rest of the league, don't forget about us. We're still pretty good up here. Yeah. As I said on last week's show, the future League's Cup champion, Seattle Sounders, uh, maybe I picked Atlanta in the end, but I said either Seattle or Atlanta and then you're yelling No, you me. didn't pick any of them. You just I, you said I, one of the two. Yeah, one of the two. And I, and you don't I'm get to take right. credit. No, you're, you yeah. are so wishy-washy sometimes. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. I said one of the two, and they're all one of the two anyways. But you, no, you don't get to be like, well, you know, well, one yeah. of the eight teams I picked. Like, no, it wasn't well. me. It was like, just no, two. You know, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You know? Um, <laughs> yeah, Seattle's good. That's not a surprise. Uh, I have them fourth. You have them third. 
I think that after the week one, would we make a little bit of adjustment and bump them to second? Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. But you know, it's all it's all kind of that. like those those top yeah. four teams in the West are kind of like they're good. Yeah. Um, one team we both were low on had a pretty good road win, considering all things considered. That's Minnesota United. Yeah. Gutted out a win on the road. Not easy to do in MLS in general. Certainly not easy to do without your best player and no clear answer on what's happening with your best player. <laughs> I thought, you know, I thought it was a good result for Minnesota United. I don't know how sustainable it is, you know, but they looked prepared to play differently, to find ways to get results yep. while they figure out everything else. I mean, if you can be a grinded out team and you can be defensively organized and you have guys that can run behind, you're, you're going to be in games and you're going to steal some straight up and that was sort of the formula for Minnesota. Dallas didn't create like hardly anything in this game. And like, I don't know. They have Jesus Jimenez on board now. They traded for him last week. Uh, Brandon Cervania going to Toronto the other way to have another kind of more prototypical striker there. I, I just, you know, they need somebody to run in behind there, Paul. And Velasco and Ferreira didn't really do it the other night. And and we'll see. That's not really Ferreira's game. He, he has the speed to do it. He just doesn't really look yeah, faster than people realize that, but yeah. that's certainly not the way he prefers to play. So um, interesting results out there. Any other, any other games that stood out to you from the weekend? No, I mean, like I said, I mean, for me, I, a lot of my focus, as much as I was going around the games was more on the broadcast and less on the actual soccer. And, and, yeah. you know, I, I would say also though, like it did provide some fun moments. I mean, that's MLS for you. And this was like a really nice debut weekend with those late goals, the late winners in multiple games. Um, and you know, I, I felt bad for MLS that, that the yeah. traffic got, got postponed. I felt bad for all the people that traveled out there or for the people that had, you know, planned around this, um, it would have been cool. Uh, but yeah, that, but it'll that, be cool it. on July 4th too. Yeah, it'll be a cool event July 4th, no doubt. Um, better weather and hopefully a more entertaining game as a result. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, looking ahead to this weekend, a few matches that that are st- standing out to me right off the bat. Atlanta, Toronto, a lot of star power in that one. It's in Atlanta. Toronto, how do they respond after that result? Atlanta, how do they respond after you know all that excitement and energy in the final, final few minutes? Orlando, Cincy, two teams that we haven't talked about. Orlando was not very good. But they won their match against the Red Bulls 1-0. Cincy, they were decent. Houston, I think, was plucky. A little bit tougher than a lot of people expected. But they won 2-1. That match in Orlando. Columbus, D.C., another one I'm looking at, Paul. Um, see how the crew respond. They, again, played pretty well first half of that match at Philly. How does D.C. come out after the emotions and the dramatics of their win? So those, those are a few that I'm... Yeah, I mean, LAFC I'm, Portland, we'll, we'll see LAFC for the first time. Portland is going to play tonight, so we don't really know what to expect there. But I think yeah. the LAFC Portland game could be a good one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and of, your boys, the Chicago Fire, the Fire debut against NYCFC. Hey, that's a big game for both of those teams. All of a sudden, like, and, <laughs> I, I, and you say the regular season doesn't matter, Paul. You know, I just, I just feel like, I just feel like it could get ugly for the Fire. So, like, early home win would be positive. And NYCFC didn't look particularly good. Didn't look great, right? So, and yeah, I mean, obviously, like the stakes are huge. The nine, you know, the fire haven't played yet. They're sitting in the nine seed still. And (laughs) And they have a game in hand. And and they have a game in hand. So they got to maintain that position. They absolutely do. All right. Stay with us. We're going to come back after the break. 
and go a little bit deeper on our anonymous executive survey that published last week. Allocation this week. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Week one, almost in the books. But Paul, we didn't get a chance last week to put to bed our anonymous exec survey, second edition. I think the 2023 version was not quite as spicy as the 2022 version. I think, you know, I'm not sliding us or the executives that participated. I think just like, you know, the first time around, you ask some spicier questions and then, you know, we could ask them again, but they're going to be the same answers. So... Yeah, I mean, I think it was more about like the first one we could we could ask everything like because we hadn't asked them before. So like MLS rules, stuff like that. This one was like, okay, what's relevant to the league this year? And let's get some real opinions out there. It's like for me, this is like almost a little bit of a picture into some of the conversations that we have across the entire season with these executives. Right. Like you hear what the conversations are between these people who are actively working in the league. Mm -hmm. And I think it it serves a real purpose. I was laughing. I saw somebody tweet like, oh, like somebody voted Robin Frazier as like most underrated coach. Why wouldn't they say that publicly? Like these anonymous surveys are dumb. And I'm like, well, I don't think it's that question that they were worried about keeping (laughs) anonymous, you know, (laughs) like maybe the one about like who's cheating in the league. Like, yeah, okay. But it's fun. It's fun to do. It really gives us a good picture, Sam, into – how different people think, different organizations, how different backgrounds affect how you watch the league or think about the league or think about your team. We talk to people that we talk to a good amount. We also talk to people that we don't talk to all the time. It's like a good way for us to reconnect and and touch base and and make new relationships as well, which is a really nice part for us, you know, when peeling back the curtain a little bit. And then I think we get some really, it, it gives insight that for me at least impacts how I think about the league, how I think about stories, that make me think differently about things that I had already made up my mind on. And, and, and I think show for the most part, you show, you see where there's consensus and you see where there's not. And I think that, I think that lends, um, a really good 
outlook on kind of where where the league has like clear direction and where there's still debate about kind of how to fix things and yeah. um from a from a kind of a pulled out view it, I, I think it paints a, a good picture of of mls so you mentioned there are some answers that that make you kind of think twice or make you rethink or you know open your eyes to something new. what what did that in this year's survey mls next pro like I, I thought like pretty decisively. I Paul, feel Paul I, hates MLS Next Pro. <laughs> I feel I feel like it took that we took a step back as a country in player development by taking your best young players out of a league where they're playing with pros, with stakes, with crowds, where you're grinding out results, people's jobs are on the line, their teammates have kids and they're trying to keep their careers alive. And you take them out of that and you stick them into what is essentially an under 19 team where they're playing in front of 12 people, including their parents and the stakes are way lower. And I thought that would be, I think that will hurt development. What I heard from many, many GMs is that yes, right now that's not great for development, but that's not how the league is going to be the whole way through that. They believe that eventually they will get some of those things back and that the level will improve and the stakes will go up a little bit more and that they can create some of that. And I thought also there were some executives who pointed out, look, like this is a tool and it can be a really good tool, but you also have to utilize the other tools. So there might be some players who hit their ceiling and can't get anything out of MLS Next Pro. The same way I feel like players sometimes hit their ceiling in MLS and need to move to Europe. And you need to send those players to USL to be in those environments, or you need to bring them to the first team and start getting them exposed to games in MLS, but there is still a usefulness to MLS next pro for some of those more raw prospects to be in this environment. So I, I think I, I took a little bit of a breath and just said, let's give this some time to see how it plays out. I would note that there were some execs. I don't even think this was in what we printed who have said like, this has been a very expensive thing for the league and for the owners and that, you know, they want to see essentially kind of how long, it take how long they give MLS Next Pro to develop because it has been pricey and expensive. So well, it's going to continue being pricey and expensive, and it's going to continue not generating much revenue. So that will but the be but the payoff is if the development works, right? right? And so and then I you think, sell those players. I think right? they're or, definite. Or use them. They're definite pros. Like it, it's been, it's more like if I'm having a, an 18, 19, 20 year old player who needs some seasoning, but much rather in some ways have him stay in my city and have him play the same system that my first team is playing and know that when I send him down to the second team, he's going to get minutes. Whereas if you send him out on loan to an independent USL team, that continuity and training is gone. There's no guarantee that he's going to play all of those things. So I think there, there's certainly pros to having that control. You mentioned the, the other, the emotional psychological elements and how there could be some, some backlash there. Totally agree. Um, I think what you said at the end, which is what one GM said to us, it is just kind of any club that has players only playing in MLS next pro or only in USL has a very short sighted view of what soccer is. It's a tool. It can be valuable for certain players. It'll be less valuable for other players. Um, every developmental path is different. Um, so yeah, that one, I think, I think that made sense for me, Paul, one thing that stood out 
Sorry, you want to do? I was just going to add one more thing on MLS X Pro, which is that it was a, a, it's a massive boost administratively, which you don't think about often as like a soccer fan, but the ease at which you can move players between levels becomes much easier with MLS and X Pro than it was with USL, even when you had a team operating in USL because of like how they're designated that it was it was harder to do loans up and down and movement where now that player movement is much easier. So in terms of creating a ladder where you can find players between levels and get them moving up and down, that part of it was made a lot easier by MLS Next Pro. And I understand that that is going to aid in player development too. And But it was something that like I hadn't really thought about that side of it, kind of just the administrative side of of the loans and of player movement that you know, is just made much, much easier for teams. Yeah. One thing, a couple of things that stood stood out to me. Um, one was that not every executive we spoke to was convinced that MLS teams will field their best lineups in League's Cup. That was like, I was like, excuse me? That was a shocker to me, actually. Um, this is such a big point of emphasis for MLS, this tournament, that I figured it was a thing where, you know, League HQ, Don Garber would be, oh, you're fielding your best 11s. Like, there's no choice here. This is not an option. Um, but some executives hit back on that, which I thought was interesting. Um, we'll see how it plays out for sure. I do think that we could see a little bit of rotation, but I still think for the most part, it'll be, you know, best 11s or best nine and eight or nine, and then throw in a couple homegrowns, maybe something along those lines. Um, but that's something. Well, a lot of them said it depends on where you are. Some teams might see themselves like high up in the regular season and say, look, we want to save our legs to win the regular season, to get a better seeding for the playoffs, to hold on to that home field advantage or to stay in the fifth spot versus dropping into eighth or whatever. And that that could influence how teams decide to put lineups in. Also that, you know, this goes back to the MLS next pro question is that there are teams who really one. I'm trying to remember who it was, but, not like I'd say who it was, but one executive said like, this is a leaks cup can also be this really great opportunity to play some of these young players that you're signing to MLS next pro and to get, and to try to find ways to get them results in a tournament that has stakes to push development. And that over the course of the life of this tournament and the number of games that MLS teams are now playing that, League's Cup has has become an important part of MLS player development in that way because it forces teams to really think about how to utilize their young players. So I'm going to keep an eye on that, like because there are a lot of MLS teams who have homegrowns who just don't want to play them, like or they're just like they're not good enough. I'm not putting them on the field. And you see, like there are a lot of clubs that reach that point too, where they're like, yeah, they might not be good enough right now. Like, yes, I have a veteran on the team better than them, but we're going to play them because that's who we are. Like, I remember Jim Curtin talking about it with Brendan yeah. Aronson. And and you have to commit to that idea to get the payoff. So maybe this short-term forces pain, more teams. Yeah. yeah, maybe this forces more teams into that short-term pain. And I think that would be a good thing as well. So once we get to the League's Cup, to analyze which teams are doing what will be a very interesting part of discussion around the value of leagues cup yep um one other thing that i wanted to highlight and this was part of a broader quote but um one of the executives that i spoke to and i think a couple maybe that you spoke to talked about narratives which is something that's you know more in our wheelhouse typically well storytelling all of a sudden matters to mls because they yeah, gotta sell subscriptions and, and and this one i'll just read part of it because it stood out to me 
it's we do have a narrative around parity that's formed over years. It's been marketed. That narrative shouldn't cloud the storytelling of elite teams. We have really bad teams every year and we have really good teams every year. And for me, we need to focus more on the really good teams. If you talk about English football right now, who do you talk about? Arsenal, not Forest. We need to do a better job of talking about our best products, not all of our products. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was kind of interesting. I do think that I do think that MLS has shifted focus a bit towards that end of the spectrum over recent years. But I still think like on the whole, when you have a setup in a broadcast deal like they had in the past where games are scheduled eight months out and you never know how it's going to go and you get into September and you got a dud in a primetime spot on ESPN, like that's part, that's a problem. (laughs) You don't have to do that anymore. Thankfully, there's a lot more flexibility now, but I thought that was an interesting note from, from somebody who, you know, is less focused on narrative in his day-to-day job and more focused on actual soccer and building a team. Yeah. I mean, we know MLS has made decisions around the best atmospheres, right? Like they want to showcase Atlanta, LAFC, Seattle, Portland. Of course they should. That's the best thing going for MLS right now is the, what these atmospheres are like in these markets, St. Louis, Charlotte, 69,000 people in Charlotte, you know? So and and most of the time or a lot of the time that does go hand in hand with the best teams, but not all the time. And so I, I do think that there there comes a point now where MLS is it has more control and that's going to be a part of it is utilizing that control to push these stories forward. And and we've discussed this and, and some GMs were talking about it over the course of the survey is that some of these rules that are designed to stop um you know, super teams from happening or dynasties from happening, you know, detract from that part of sports. Like it's good to have teams Mm -hmm. that you can hate for being really good. Yeah. And like Seattle and Toronto were there for a while where they had a few years in a row of being the 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 galaxy for a while, you know, and everyone hated the galaxy and everyone was like, Oh, MLS bends the rules for the guy. And like, that's good. it's, (laughs) It's good. It's good to do that. You know? So I, I wonder whether or not, you know, I I I want to take like the micro of like the fact that multiple GMs were thinking about how to better tell stories on this Apple deal and and hope that 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 there's like a level of that happening and I'm sure there is at the league level that as you get into actually now having to sell this product directly to consumers that you have to start thinking differently about what do they really want how do we create drama how do we create the things that what are people watching with sports and you know that goes from the thing that i yell about all the time which is more transparency to be able to talk about roster building because people want to do that so it's like is that something mls is going to do to be able to tell more stories to things like dynasties super teams putting the best games on tv showing some of the negatives that happen the fights the whatever like all of that now directly impacts the league because they are the ones selling it literally yeah. with a, with a, with a paywall. So it it was Sam, you're right. It was like really interesting how often that stuff started to come up just about kind of like how to sell the league, how to best sell the league on Apple. Another thing that I think was probably expected for you and I Paul, but maybe not expected for fans is the best and worst owner discussion. You know, I think LAFC showing up in the best owner discussion, that was no surprise. Atlanta, Arthur Blank. Atlanta, yeah. No surprise. But then you have Joe Mansueto and Phil Anschutz 
and both receiving multiple votes. And I think if you asked Galaxy fans, hey, is Phil Anschutz one of the best owners in MLS? They would probably like throw something at you. They're protesting their club right now, <laughs> the hardcore supporters. I think Fire fans would be more uh, friendly or complimentary of Joe Mansueto. But I think it just provides a good window into the thinking of some of these executives, which how do they see a good owner? A person that spends resources, provides money, and like mostly stays the hell out of the way. Like there was a pretty telling quote of LAFC, you know, they, they provide structure and they try and help, which is a good thing because they do a good job at it, but there's actually accountability there. Like, so they're the best owners, but they're not the most attractive job for this particular executive. <laughs> they listed Toronto as the best because they, they view TFC as being able to spend money willy nilly and not really having a ton of oversight from, from MLSE, their ownership group. So it's just kind of an interesting window into that. And then on the other side of that coin is Jorge Mas and Merritt Paulson. And Merritt Paulson was not receiving worst owner votes for everything that's happened with the Thorns and with Andy Polo. That's not what these one One person did note that. Okay. One person did not. Um, They were thinking about just how involved he is and, you know, just how he is kind of, or how he's perceived to be anyway, as, as kind of meddling and, and, you know, overbearing as a boss. So that was interesting. Jorge Mas, you know, the guy might sign Messi, Paul. Like, <laughs> you know? yeah, it's not a resource thing, right? It's not no. a resource thing. Like, the, it's not an ambition thing either. Right. Like, this like, isn't like a Kroenke vote. I mean, Kroenke won the vote, but like Kroenke won the vote for having no ambition and not really providing resources compared to like his wealth and ability. Mm-hmm. Moss is definitely providing resources compared to his wealth and ability, definitely has the ambition, wants to sign Messi, but is talking about stuff constantly in the or was in the press for a while, definitely is very involved in meddling, definitely around the office all the time. And, and, you know, people around the league hear that. They hear about how the owner acts in an office, how the owner is involved, the kind of, you know, how much they are like the, the face of the team in, in some ways and of decision making. And, and they don't love it. Yeah. Well, I think uh, it goes to show, even despite how your club is performing or not performing, uh, GMs and other soccer executives in MLS are just like the rest of us. They want their boss to give them the, the necessary tools and then they want to not be micromanaged. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> right. I think I guess that's universal. Um, another thing that stood out to me, Paul, there was a lot of acceptance of the new playoff format. Yeah, you know what? I have a simple answer for this and I think it's um, a lesson to be learned and probably has been learned by MLS. MLS involved the CSOs and the coaches in this decision-making process. Like they made presentations to them. They had conversations with them about what they were thinking, what those people wanted, showed them data that they had they had gotten from compiled. surveys and things like that compiled. They were involved in this process from like an earlier point than they ever have been before, at least how it was described to us. And so a lot of these people were like, well, you know, my first reaction was this. But when I saw the presentation from MLS, when I saw this data, I had a better understanding of why they were doing it. No surprise there. Hearts and minds, Paul. (laughs) Yeah, they exactly. Like you make them feel like they're part of the process. You make them feel like they have an understanding of why it's happening and they're going to be less inclined to criticize. I think there are still, obviously there were still opinions about what could have been better. I don't think everyone is 100% on board with the format, but they because they had an understanding directly of why it was being done, they were 
more understanding of it. And I think also a lot way, of the think, GMs. I don't think MLS has done a great job of explaining that rationale to fans. No, definitely not. Um, and and I think because it's because it's harder to explain to fans because it's a business decision. And I was going like to get to that. It was just like, money. <laughs> yeah, well, like a lot of them were also like, look, we want the Apple TV deal to work. And this is linked to that. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was like it all went hand in hand. But yeah, it's a lot harder to go to the fans and be like, listen, this is a business decision. OK, this gives this us so more money, give us more money, more revenue, <laughs> more, you know, like that. They they can't like yeah. that presentation was not a soccer presentation. It was a business presentation, which is why they did not do the same thing for the fans. But it certainly worked in kind of winning the hearts and minds and at least helping people understand the why. And they were less inclined to bash the why once they kind of were like, oh, this is going to help my profession and like, you know, m- my my team probably in, in terms of revenue. So. Yeah. Also makes it easier for them to make the playoffs, which makes it less likely that there were more. You know what? Credit to the GMs who said that. <laughs> Credit to the GMs who were like, listen, more more playoff spots for my team to get into. And like, yeah, like that. I'm not going to lie. Like, I like it. One other thing, Paul, that stood out to me. Vancouver and Montreal are forgotten, not just by us and fans and other reporters, but by these guys, too. Like, like neither of them showing up in worst owner. Like, they probably deserve yeah. that. Olivia, Olivia Renault, 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 Renault. Renault. I'm so bad at French. I went to a French restaurant Olivier last night with Nikki and I butch- butchered everything wow, on the you menu. Went to a French restaurant. Jesus. Yeah, it's new. It's were, new. Hey, don't bash me for my so first rude. date night with a babysitter. So okay, rude. it took a long time to get there to have a babysitter and go to dinner. I'm very proud of myself. Um, <laughs> it was, you know, I was very nervous. And everything went went well. Um, it's good. Thank you for asking. Um, I'm, I'm about, I learned I'm very bad at pronouncing French words. And I was just like, I'm going to point. What did you like? What did you order? And how did you pronounce? What do you think I ordered, Sam? You know, you know me very well. What do you think I ordered at a French restaurant? I don't know. What do you make fun of me most for ordering in my life? Duck. Yes. Yeah. I ordered the duck because at French restaurants, they make duck. Duck à l'orange. It was not, it was duck à l'orange. Is that is that I think that's duck in French. I I don't I could be very wrong. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> How did out. we get here? Oh, because I couldn't pronounce Olivia Renault. Anyways, Renault. he and Vasily. Well, however you say it. <laughs> You're not saying he, it right. <laughs> all right. Doesn't Olivier and Vasily got votes for best front office, which I think was I think they should have probably had more, to be fair. Well, I think they're hurt by their owner because you know, you lose Wilfred Dancy. Largely yep. because of Joey Saputo, and it makes it hard to vote for that front office is the best one, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think we went through a lot of it. Any, are, were there any other answers that that stood out to you? Anything else that opened your eyes? I mean, the, the, everybody was high on Philly, even the guy that said that they suck. <laughs> yeah, everyone was high on Philly to win a trophy of some kind. They won for like best contracts. Multiple, they had three players for best budget deal. Mm-hmm. They had multiple players in there for. You know, best coach, best executive, most underrated, best coach, away. best executive, yeah. won both of those. So, league high expectations for Philly. It's good to pull the quote, the one quote from the survey saying that you suck. But like, it also like most of the survey was like you guys all have really high expectations that you have to meet for this yeah. season to be a success. Um, there was a lot of change from twenty two to twenty one in terms of like best coach and executive. Bruce Arena, I think, was best coach and ran away with it. So it's it's sort of whoever wins wins the shield. So I'm just going to throw this out here. I would not be surprised at all if Pat Noonan was the top that list in 2023. There was love for Pat Noonan this year, so I, I'm sure that will continue if they have another good year. 
Indeed. Um, well, Paul, I think this has been a pretty good podcast, despite our French pronunciations, our, our misadventures. Is it, French. is it time to say au revoir? What? <laughs> <laughs> Do that again. No. What did you just say? No. I think you went au revoir. <laughs> I did. I did. I think I just stumbled over the easier thing. I was like, I I, I almost wanted to flip the collar like Cantona, but I, I or, stumbled or like in the Taylor middle of Twelman it. the other day. Yeah, he did. It, you know, I wasn't sure if that was a full collar pop or it was just like a, a was like a mock quarter, turtleneck. I think it was just, that was quarter just dip. That yeah, was I think so too. Yeah. yeah. But, but it I, did look like a pop I collar. I would challenge Taylor to come out for the next MLS broadcast with a double popped collar. I, I think yeah, we know that he wants to. And this is just me throwing down the gauntlet. Yeah. I, right. I, I, I'm on board, but I'm not going to try to say anything else in French today. So. Au revoir. Thank you for listening to Allocation (laughs) Disorder. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.